Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Welcome back to another episode of the Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, joined by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, uh, quick question of the day for you. Um, you play board games? I do. Okay. Uh, so we had a little debate here at Hatch around, uh, around board games. You know, in, in your opinion, what is the, the greatest of all time board game? What's the GOAT, GOAT board game? The greatest of all time? I mean, I do like Settlers of Catan. I like the German style, like Max Min type. Uh, problems where the tactical and the strategic um so settlers definitely comes top to the list um trying to think if there's anything else but that's that's pretty it's pretty tough to beat yeah tom was actually one of the top ones and then we had um risk risk is my favorite my personal favorite um but clue it's it's an easier game that's based mostly on luck Okay, you're clearly not making the right packs. Um, It's uh, but Clue was actually the number one, which I was was surprised. I didn't know if I thought Monopoly was going to be up there, but either way, um, you know, talking a talking a little board game talk. Um, Interesting. Well, let's let's jump in. uh, Give give the uh, listeners a little bit of a preview of today's episode. So today we're going to be you know talking about the intersection of venture capital and dual use tech startups. Um, for clarity, for for our listeners, you know, a dual use venture is a technology startup that has both gov- government and commercial customers. Uh, we've got two excellent guests with us to break this down. Uh, we have Mike Brown, uh, a partner at a venture capital firm in the Bay Area called Shield Capital, uh, and Topher Haddad, uh, the co-founder and CEO of, um, is it Al- Albedo? Albedo. Yeah, Albedo. Got it right. Cool. All right. Um, Albedo, uh, they are a uh, satellite imagery startup headquartered, uh, I believe in Denver, Colorado. You can correct me if yeah. I'm wrong on that. Uh, and to, to set the stage for this episode, you know, Shield Capital was uh, one of the lead investors for Albedo's Series A round. Uh, so it is not by accident that we have brought these two folks together. It was a, a strategic pairing of these guests. Uh, so I'm confident this will add to a, a really fascinating discussion today. Uh, guys, thank you both for joining us on the pair program. Glad to be here. Yeah, excited right. to be here. Cool. All right. So before we dive in uh, to the discussion, we do kick things off the fun segment called Pair Me Up. Uh, here's where we're going to go around the room, kind of shout out a complimentary pairing. Mike Gruen, uh, you always start us off. What, what do you got for us? So today's is uh, long meetings and many scheduled short breaks. Um, the key part of that is not the long meeting, but the scheduled short breaks. Uh, we had an all day planning session uh, today, so it was sort of top of mind. Uh, it was several hours long, but I, I definitely appreciated the chief product officer scheduling many short breaks um, that broke up the, the thing nicely, um, gave us a, gave everybody an opportunity to sort of catch up on all the stuff that they were missing. And I think it sort of made the whole the whole day go a little bit faster because everybody was paying attention because they didn't have to, they didn't feel that need to like, Oh, I have to go check Slack or I have to check email right now. Like they knew that like in 20 minutes, they're going to have an opportunity to do that. So that's, so that's my parent. I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah. yeah you love your meetings. I uh, hate my meetings, but meeting is the opposite <laughs> of doing, uh, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Mike, Mike's an engineering leadership, so he's got one-on-ones out the kazoo. So um, sure, it's a relatable thing for for many other of our listeners as well. I mean, to be clear, I do like the one-on-ones. I enjoy that part of the job. It's the big, long, big session meetings. As I said, meeting is the opposite of doing. For sure. So. I, I agree. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I'll jump in. Uh, so without getting too deep here, uh, my my pairing is uh, turning 40 and reflecting. Uh, so I recently celebrated my, my 40th birthday. It was a fun gathering, had, had you know, friends and family from you know, years and years ago. Uh, I gave a toast uh, at the party and, and prep for the toast was you know, just doing a, a bit of reflecting on my life. Um, you know, they, a lot of folks say like the 40th is that midpoint of life. Uh, it's a good opportunity to reflect on where you where you are, uh, where you thought you you would be. Uh, and for me, you know, just a good time to just reassess some life priorities and goals and um, overall purpose. Uh, so, you know, got got a little bit deep. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me recently becoming a, a first time parent, um, you know, it, the purpose was quite clear or clearer for me. Uh, I'll leave it at that. So uh, it was a healthy exercise, uh, but that's, that's my pairing. So turning, turning 40 and, and uh, reflecting. Um, so I'll pass it along to our guest, uh, Topher. Uh, why don't you give us a, a quick intro and, and uh, tell us your pairing? Yeah, awesome. Uh, excited to be here. So uh, Topher Dodd, co-founder and CEO at Albedo. We are building satellites that fly very low and take very high resolution pictures of the earth. So we'll get, we'll get into that more, but um, after thinking long and hard about my pairing, I think one of the best ones is Topo Chico with my nine to five or whatever the actual hours are, but I sit (laughs) and work all day drinking Topo Chico, which is, uh, turns out to be a pretty expensive (laughs) work habit, but, uh, it it helps me, uh, yeah, focus. So (laughs) that's solid. Are you uh, a ranch water fan by chance? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, into ranch water. Uh, LaCroix, I mix in Lacroix too, but I'd okay. say key lime Lacroix and a regular Topo Chico, maybe occasional lime, are my go-to's all day. That's solid. My neighbor just opened up a uh, Mexican uh, street taco restaurant, and oh, um, yeah. one of the one of the key like drinks they've got like the Coke and like the old school glass bottle, but then they also have Topo Chico, and it's always nice. a always a good option you just don't see it very often not not around here anyways not not east coast yeah um, i think it's spreading i remember when i was living in the bay area and it first started they, uh, whole Foods started selling it there um it was a big deal but in texas there it's everywhere i mean it's yeah it, it is the water or the wine honey of texas so <laughs> sweet <laughs> Nice. All right, we'll have to evaluate if it's if it's going to be the top of our pairing charts. We'll we'll have to right. get back to you on that. <laughs> right. um, but but I do dig it. I like that. I like that. Um, also, Mike, how about uh, yourself? A quick intro and, and your pairing. Okay, uh, Michael Brown, uh, partner of Shield Capital, uh, just leaving an assignment as the director of the Defense Innovation Unit at the Department of Defense, whose mission was really to bring commercial technology into the military. And now being at Shield, I'm really doing a similar thing, but now from the private sector side, how do we work with, you know, phenomenal entrepreneurs like Topher and help them get their companies to be successful and selling into government and commercial applications? Well, Tim, for a pairing, I think I'm inspired by what you talked about in terms of reflection. So the other end of the spectrum in terms of age of this group uh, and as a new grandparent, the, my cool. favorite pairing is... Uh, 
being with grandkids and lack of discipline. So the beautiful thing about moving on from being a parent is once you get to the grandkids, no discipline involved. It's just having fun with them and handing them back to the parent. <laughs> Injecting them with lots of sugar and then handing them back to the parent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. How many grandkids do you have? Uh, two. Oh, very nice. Very Boy and nice. A girl. Good stuff. I like that. Um, well, let's um, let's go ahead and transition uh, into the the heart of our discussion. So, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about dual use tech today. Um, you know, this plays off some recent episodes that we've been running, centered around you know commercial innovation in the defense and national security sector. Uh, you know, Michael, you, you you your experience at the Defense Innovation Unit. I mean. Super relevant, super spot on. So I'm I'm really pumped that we got you. Uh, and I'd love to you know to expand on this concept of dual use technology, um, uh, defining it in more detail, understanding some of the different use cases where we're seeing this popping up across both commercial and government sectors. Um, you know, we'll hear more on how VCs maybe evaluate and assess dual use companies um, and and expand a little bit on like what what those regulations or what those challenges might come into play when positioning that tech and into these regulated industries like the Department of Defense. Uh, but first off, I'd love to begin with Mike, you know, give us a little context on maybe the investment thesis at Shield. And also I, I'd share with our listeners how the partnership between Shield and um, Albedo began. Okay. Yeah. Uh you know, Shield is really a first-time venture fund focused on early-stage companies, which means seed stage, Series A. Uh, so uh, uh, Albedo fits right in the center of it. And we're working on four different sectors, AI, cyber, autonomy, and space. And if you think about those sectors, they're all ones that the military needs, but is not leading the development on. So the big change uh, in defense tech, if you go back 50 years, would be the department was inventing a lot of the technology it needed. So it was working with NASA to send rockets that uh, basically it designed with some defense primes up into space. Uh, it was developing chips, uh, all things that uh, today the department needs, but is not on the front end of developing. What the department's on the front end of developing today would be hypersonics and what's called directed energy or, or concentrated lasers. So a lot of the technology that's needed is developed in the commercial world um, by uh, companies like Albedo and others. So the challenge is how does the department get access to that? So the good news is now we can leverage private investment, venture capital, to develop these companies rather than having them be purely taxpayer funded. You know, if you go back to the 60s, a big part of the federal budget was uh, developing the rockets and the and the space program. Now that can be done with outside capital, so big benefit. And we get competition. We get more companies that are participating here, which gives the taxpayers uh, a bit of a break through that competition. And you get leading edge capability. You're not dependent on kind of one source to get that. So our thesis is that we'll be able to both invest in those companies and make money for our investors because not only do they serve the government, but they also have commercial applications. So that's the, the thesis. It's a pretty new one. It's a defense tech is a, a rapidly growing area, part of the venture market, but we haven't had enough time go by to see, okay, how do these investments play out? We've had some pretty good examples of big wins, companies like Andrel, 
Um, companies like Shield AI uh, are doing well, but we haven't seen this uh, through a whole sort of crop of, of investments. And I'll let Topher talk about uh, how uh, the partnership with uh, Shield got connected with Albedo. Yeah, for sure. Actually, it was funny. The relationship started with Shield as I was a customer reference for a different company that Shield was evaluating. And it turned in, and I was actually fundraising at the time, so it turned into um, an investment. But, but yeah, that um, that was a little over a year ago when we closed our Series A, and very much I think Albedo reflects kind of the core dual use definition uh, of really serving both commercial and defense and intelligence. And so, hi historically, and like the heritage of a lot of our technology come from the government owned and operated satellites that have been around for a long time and done a ton for our national security. And so what we're really bringing from, uh, from a commercial perspective is this capability and this product that today you kind of need drones or planes for uh, to capture this level of resolution and, and give our customers the certainty that comes with that. But now we can do it at a global scale with all the benefits you get from a satellite. And so that's really important for industries like insurance, utilities, mapping, agriculture, those different sectors on top of adding to the existing capability of the U.S. government in terms of high-resolution remote sensing in both the visible and the infrared. And so that really, um, that plus kind of the core technology we're building in this new part of space called BLEO is what I, I think really attracted SHIELD to Albedo and us working with them. And the attraction was those connections, the network, the know-how of working with the defense uh, department and the intelligence community in terms of how to do how to do business development, where to spend time, and how to think about that strategically and long term. Um, so, so yeah, it's been we've been working with Shield for about a year, and it's been phenomenal. Uh, it's a huge tailwind to have have you know a team that knows the defense world um, like Shield does. When you were um, you know looking for for investment, were you looking specifically for firms that that had some ex expertise in dual use tech? Yes, I would say, um, and, and, and Breakthrough Energy Ventures co-led that round with Shield. They're more of a climate tech oriented fund. And that was really like very well aligned with our go-to-market and our, our goals for uh, the market opportunity was, was defense and then commercial with a lot of climate uh, and applications. And so we, had, we didn't have as many um, investors very actively involved before the Series A. And so when we when I was talking to different different firms, knowing that there were certain firms out there with specific theses and focuses like Shield and, and the uh, on the defense side was definitely something that was very attractive and something that we wanted, you know, from from a prioritization perspective was not just the capital, but but a fund that could really bring value in other ways beyond that. So yeah, definitely was was of interest. Interesting. And and so uh, some context on your background, Topher. So, um, you know, wh where were you before you started Albedo? Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, your background, where you came from. Certainly. So I worked for Lockheed Martin uh, in the Bay Area for about five years before starting Albedo. I worked on classified remote sensing satellites for the U.S. government, and I did a mix of system architecture work with more of a specialty in optics and imaging science. And so both and, and, you know, I really I thought space was cool as a kid, but wasn't necessarily the person that grew up set on working in space. But I feel super lucky that that was the first job I got because I just fell in love with the entire space industry and satellite imaging specifically, both the engineering side and then also the applications, getting to see what it's done for our country. So that's what I did for about five years. Uh, learned a ton, worked with amazing people, worked on amazing missions um, and yet yeah, got exposed to kind of this defense tech and the application side of things. Neat. Um, I, I, I am curious on like, um, 
you know, so that that obviously played a part in, you know, having some connections to two folks in the defense space. Uh, when you first started uh, Albedo, did you know it was going to be a dual use tech kind of, um, you know, technology company? Or was that something that evolved as you were going through some different use cases? Um, and, and what kind of came first, the you know, more of like a commercial use case or or uh, defense yeah yeah so i didn't really know so the idea for albedo which we won't get into this story because it's kind of long but it actually came from when trump tweeted a classified satellite image and i didn't know much about the commercial market for imagery but it's this tweet sparked this conversation in the commercial industry around how game-changing it would be to get this resolution in the hands of those different commercial markets i'd mentioned and so the the i guess like the early days of this we kind of viewed albedo as yeah, there's obviously a big opportunity with the Department of Defense, with the intelligence community. We know there's a lot of supply limitations today around how much high-res imagery they can collect. And so that's kind of the bare minimum opportunity of, you know, this, this, this big market opportunity with the defense and, and intelligence community. But the commercial was kind of that that was where this kind of venture scale potential outcome came in of we could unlock all these applications or expand all these applications in these commercial markets by bringing high resolution, making it easier to buy and kind of these different kind of key ingredients that we think are needed to catalyze the commercial market. Um, so I think, yeah, from the beginning, we always knew both were the focus, but commercial is where it's more, it's, it, it will take more work and, and more unlocking to really grow that market, which we're very bullish on. Um, but, um, but defense, yeah, was definitely there at the forefront as well. And, and just when you think about how you're going to break down, you know, the, a cut from a rep, maybe from a revenue perspective, you do you have uh, an idea in your mind of of what that might look like from a balance of commercial and uh, defense? Our goal would be half and half, 50 50. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, Mike, when you when you invest in these types of companies, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking for from uh, the foundation of, of their technology or the founding team, um, you know, what, what is it that they're going to be up against, you know, when they're, when their strategy is to expand into these more regulated industries? Yeah, well, I think, uh, what we look for is uh, some of the things that you look for in any type of venture investment. Uh, how big is the market? Uh, in this case, huge, uh, because space is undergoing a revolution. Maybe we come back to that point here. Uh, we look for how strong is the founding team. Uh, Topher is a great example of that, a uh, very capable entrepreneur who also comes with co-founders. So we found that it makes sense if you have a founding team versus someone who's trying to do it solo. There's a lot to get done in a, in a company as you're getting started, as I'm sure Topher can attest to. And uh, we're looking for some differentiation relative to other offerings. Topher's got uh, really the opportunity to bring, uh, you know, state-of-the-art, uh, optical sensors combined with infrared or thermal imaging. And uh, I think that's going to be a very, very powerful combination. He's also uh, really pioneering this concept of what can we do in something that is below low Earth orbit, very low Earth orbit. We, he used the acronym a little while ago, uh, VLEO. So those are some of the things that we would look at that look like uh, it could be a dynamite investment. I'll just say one uh, bit about uh, what's happening in space now for those folks who haven't followed it with a nod to SpaceX, another commercial company that's been extremely uh, successful here. Uh, they have uh, pioneered this concept of a reusable rocket, and it's reduced the cost of getting a payload or whatever you might want to send in space by an order of magnitude. 
you just can't underestimate how important that is for the growth of the industry that uh, Topher is pursuing. So the ability to get at a lower cost, whatever you might want to have in space is really allowing an entire new industry to develop here. Um, and that's sensors, all different types of sensors. In Topher's case, it's optical plus a thermal, but there's other types of sensors like synthetic aperture radar, which was used very effectively to see the Russian uh, intent in moving in Ukraine before Putin crossed the border, because those uh, technologies can see through clouds and see at night. Um, so this combination of uh, different types of sensors that we're able to get better resolution of what's happening on Earth really revolutionizes defense, because now my situational awareness is much be better than it was before. Enemies can't hide. It's just going to be impossible to do things without uh, seeing what, what's happening. Uh, and then the commercial application, most of what we know about the Earth comes from sensors in space. So to be able to watch, uh, you know, climate change, uh, the water content of the, uh, the, the snow in the Sierra, which is so important to know whether California is in drought, on and on and on. So many different applications here. And that's really what makes a, a great investment is a company that's able to pursue both the defense market and the, and the commercial market and into this environment of the revolution in space and space sensors that's happening right now. I'm curious, uh, Topher, with regards to, you know, an expansion into, into more of the defense space, um, you know, do you, did you make a, an intentional effort in, uh, uh, you know, scaling a team that had that type of a background, maybe from a, a capture or BD perspective, um, and things that you would recommend for, you know, maybe those, those startup founders out there that are considering like, uh, you know, their tech to be injected into, you know, more of a, a defense environment, but what steps they might run it, they need to consider or what, you know, what they might want to do to uh, give themselves their best shot to, to navigate those waters. I mean, we're trying to educate a little bit more on that space because we, a lot of the listeners yeah. here are commercial technologists. And so can be, you know, completely, uh, unknown territory for folks that have it like you had the the background of lockheed so that clearly played a part but what would you recommend and say like some of the things that would be helpful to those that are trying to dip their toe in those waters yeah good great question i i, I honestly have like so many lessons learned from being a first-time founder on a lot of this i think at, at the end of the day like if you're bringing a capability or product to the market that is valuable to defense and intelligence then that's that's the biggest benefit, and so that that fits us as well, and and we've gotten a lot of traction there. We actually we we haven't really hired that many dedicated people on the business development and sales side. Most of our team is engineering, as we have a lot of core technology that we're building to to launch these satellites. We'll launch our first one in in about a year and a half, um, and so a lot of the early BD and sales was done by the founders on the defense side. We brought on a full time. Uh, BD person on, on the US government side at the beginning of this year. He's phenomenal. But and he has a lot of help from the team, different engineers that participate, but it's it's still um he's he's the one full time dedicated to that. But it's still enough for us in our phase to get a lot of traction when some of these contracts, some of these uh SBIR contracts or uh, DIU opportunities like where Mike used to uh, lead and and other opportunities from a BAA perspective that we can pursue and win some non-dilutive funding before we launch that will help us from an R&D perspective. Um, I think from like an advice perspective, the couple lessons learned in the early days were trying to develop our own SBIR proposals 
and just all the nuances around that, doing it on ourselves. We lost a few at the beginning and then started working with a, a consulting group that helped a ton. So I think adding in some external support is definitely worth the cost, especially um, if they're kind of incentivized by the, the award of it as well. So that I think that was a lesson learned. And then additionally, getting to the phase two part of the SBIR process as quickly as possible opens up a lot of opportunities from a different type of contract vehicle perspective to win some bigger awards. And so that was helpful for us as well uh, in terms of how quickly we were able to win some of those. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's really about does, does the messaging, the product itself, like really resonate with those customers? Do they need it? Is it solving a pain point? Um, and that's where we've gotten, you know, the bulk of our traction from of, of product, not, not proper product led sales, but like it's, it's very much product based. And, and uh, we, we touched on this acronym in a previous episode, but SBIR, what does that uh, stand for? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not good at actually questions on what acronyms stand for because there's so many of them. Yeah. I think it's small Mike, business innovation research, maybe something. Is that right? Mike? Like Green, that, right? That's it. That's it. All right. It All comes right. from uh, uh, the small business administration, uh, which wanted to fund more smaller companies doing research uh, to help the government. And so uh, there's a tax placed on all of the R and D dollars that are given to each department of the government. Department of Defense has the biggest proportion of that. So it turns out to be about a 3% tax, about $3 billion that uh, the Defense Department will award in SBIR grants each year based on its R&D budget. Gotcha. Okay. And, and Mike, you, you're, you spent a couple of years or, or, or maybe more at the Defense Innovation Unit. Can, can you just give a little bit of uh, paint a little bit of picture of what that role was? Because it sounds like it obviously sure. played a big part into how you add value at Shield Capital as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, seven years at the Defense Department uh, and the Defense Innovation Unit, uh, again, set up by Ash Carter because he saw so many of what we, the innovations that we need are happening in small companies and Silicon Valley and other innovation hubs around the country, as opposed to in government labs. So he saw that flip we talked about a few minutes ago where the Defense Department used to be inventing all the technology it needed. Now it's a 80-20 on the other side, about 20% of the technology uh, is invented by Defense Department and labs, but most of it is coming from, you know, the, the vibrant innovation uh, economy that we have in this country, which is a real comparative advantage uh, globally. So, uh, you know, we see that as companies funded by the venture industry. And these are technologies like AI, cyber, space, autonomy. Uh, if you think about where's the where are the new things coming from, like uh, uh, generative AI? They're, they're not coming from defense or DARPA, even though those folks are still doing some great work. They're coming from younger, innovative companies out there. So Ash Carter, having realized that, said, well, we need a way to connect with that economy that's happening. So he created this unit, and the unit basically does two things. One, it scopes for what are the hardest problems that the Defense Department has. Some of those will be military unique. So DIU wouldn't be a factor there, but many of them will be leveraging the technologies we just talked about, and we need to find the commercial vendors. So DIU is looking for which are the most important problems to work on, and then what is the uh, commercial vendor set who might be able to solve that problem. So it's a, it's a matching of the problem with those commercial vendors, and then it's a process to basically make sure there's competition among those potential suppliers down select and test in a military environment how well those solutions work and then select vendors uh, from that along with the DOD partner or customer 
will be funding that effort and then getting those scaled up. And the DIU uses a special authority, which has a boring name, Other Transaction Authority. It was actually created when NASA was created to uh, in the wake of Sputnik to make sure that the government could go fast and not always use something called federal acquisition regulations, which is every bit as cumbersome as it sounds. So by using this special authority of OTA, it really is allowing DIU to operate more like a commercial entity and to go faster and streamline the process. Because one thing we know uh, is that uh, startup companies uh, live and die by cash flow. So the government has to find a way to work faster to be able to support young companies or they, uh, you know, <laughs> basically uh, put up their hands and say, no, I can't work with you if you tell me it's going to take three or four years to get a contract. Uh, you could live or die uh, as, a, as a young company by waiting for the government, which is why we have a whole set of defense primes that are uniquely configured to support the government. They know the process and they can wait that long for a government contract. So, so we need to inject an alternative uh, process, which is what DIU uh, is doing, that allows uh, the government to work better with uh, small companies. On that, I think that's, that's been one of the things that I've seen as being really great because in the early days, so my, you know, I worked at plenty of government oriented companies and trying to get that money. Like there were plenty of opportunities where we were like, oh, wasn't even a government-oriented company. We had opportunities where we had a commercial product that could benefit the government, but like the sales, like everything about it was just so hard. It was like, or we can go spend all of our effort getting, you know, getting these smaller dollars faster rather than waiting for these big dollars that might take a long, long time to come. So I think that's been a great innovation on the government side in terms of trying to trying to understand the cycle that you have to do to to get these smaller companies in. And, yeah, and that's great inside knowledge for you to have, Michael, to to be able to bring to, you know, as an advisor, really, to to these startups that you all are investing in, because I think that's part of it is educating them on, you know, the process and realistic timelines on what might be, you know, what to expect, because I think that's where, you know, you, like you said, you know, as a startup, you're relying on that cash in those early stages, and you could find yourself in a real pickle if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, not knowing what that timeline might, might be. Um, so that's right. Everyone at shield has experience both in the government. Many have worn the uniform. So from military background or, uh, I'd say, and that's not, or commercial experience. So most of my career experience was leading to Silicon Valley companies, quantum and Symantec. So I'm relatively new to the government side of this. But you need the skill set of both uh, having led companies, which is experience Topher is getting now to, uh, you know, how does it, how can you most effectively work with government partners? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Topher. I was checking out some of your um, advisors, some of your strategic advisors on your board. And you've got folks there that, you know, former chief of staff from, you know, intelligence agencies and Department of Defense. How did you align with those folks? Uh, was that some? Was that a part of the the partnership with with Shield, or were those connections that you had? Uh, I'm always curious on how folks align with their advisory boards. Shield was a big. I think three of those four, two of those four, three of those four were connections from Shield. Um, and yeah, there's definitely. I mean, we've already uh, had a ton of value come out of working with that strategic advisory board. We have former director of the National Geospatial Agency, uh, Vice Admiral retired Bob Sharp, who, who run, used to run an intelligence agency that's re very relevant for imagery. And then I won't go into details on the others. They've all been phenomenal. 
but that was largely, yeah, from I think this signal of Shield's investment of, of how um, distinguished the Shield team is generally across the board, and then um, getting those connections, talking about what we're doing, and really having people that are bought into the mission. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was uh, in large part to Shield. Do you think, um, well, I guess with, with your engineering teams, um, what, what are, where are most of their backgrounds coming from? Yeah, I was actually talking with a friend about this yesterday. He was like, I was looking at y'all's jobs and your engineering positions you have listed just sound crazy because we have, you know, we need a safe mode GNC algorithmic expert PhD in this thing or whatever. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the background, we have a fair mix of, uh, experience from traditional aerospace, classified space, so like Lockheed Martin, NASA JPL, et cetera. But then also a fair mix of kind of the new space alumni with, with SpaceX and, and some of these other companies. So that's been a great combo for us from a culture and just engineering philosophy perspective. And some of the key, I think some of the key aspects of how we've been so successful so far is bringing on these people that have a lot of experience with pretty complex spacecraft from the traditional aerospace domain that you know are much more expensive but have these very exquisite capabilities that we now are in the kind of free, not free, but like um, the less constrained space startup world, and we can move much faster. One of our core values is high speed, low drag. And so we have all that experience, and then we have it in this less constrained environment. We can really build some amazing technology that's much more affordable, but still very capable and very, um, uh, yeah, very, very high performance. So, so it's a fair mix of kind of different space engineering type backgrounds, some more traditional software backgrounds, but largely it's very specialized uh, aerospace jobs. One of the uh, big things, you know, just being based in the DC area, we've, you know, we've worked with a fair share of, you know, uh, government contracting companies, you know, commercial product, you know, companies, um, you know, within services, right, there's, there's a lot of work that's done that's, that's in a cleared environment. Uh, you know, you can only get exposure to certain uh, pieces of work, especially if it's an Intel, right? If you're, you know, top secret and beyond types of, types of clearance. When you're talking about building products um, that might be, you know, supporting these agencies, uh, would you say it's it's something that you know you're looking for folks that have built products that have, you know, uh, been uh, impacting, you know, s secure environments? I mean, I guess I'm trying to think of how what level of security. Uh, it comes into play from a build perspective, right? But not really necessarily saying like they need a security clearance, right? But, um, you know, I'm, I'd imagine when you're building, you know, for, for some of these agencies, right? They, they want to ensure like, you know, security is kept top front center. Uh, is that something that, that plays into your uh, strategy when you're talking about hiring up engineers that are building for, you know, those types of customers? Not intentionally, more by coincidence. So a lot of our a lot of our engineers, including myself and and one of my co-founders, AJ, we all worked you know for years in a building with no windows when we could bring our phone <laughs> inside, et cetera. Um, also, it's just it's crazy going from that to now. Like I can do half of my work on my phone because it's all Slack and emails. It's, it's a paradigm shift. Um, but but not so not intentionally. But by coincidence, we do have a lot of those those people, and some of them still have their clearances sponsored through other projects that they work on, which is helpful for us, for Albedo, because it is beneficial to have familiarity with what's going on in that environment, what kind of use cases and missions we can really provide value for. 
But in terms of how we're building the product and like needing to put the technology in certain places that we're not necessarily building classified type technology, right. but it is, there are ITAR considerations, which is kind of a separate regulatory framework around how we can export information, what kind of technologies we can use in terms of supply chain and things like that. Um, so it still is kind of in that family with those types of technologies, but not necessarily needing to be in a SCIF or anything. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's something that I think a lot of folks maybe have some hesitancy when they when they look to expand is, you know, do I might need to become a cleared facility here? Um, I think that's a different ball game. If you're doing services, it's obviously it's very a little bit different than building product. Um, but um, always just bring it up because I think it's it is something that we get asked quite a bit if we're working on that uh, a product type of role that's injecting that technology into defense. Mm -hmm. This is uh, indicative of uh, how much defense is changing, because uh, if we went back 10 or 15 years, it would have all been classified, it would have all been built by the government. Now you've got the ability to have all of these sensors developed by commercial companies available for anyone to use that information. So the Defense Department needs it, but the flip side is if we don't figure out how to use that, adversaries also can take advantage of that commercial information. So this is where defense needs to be much more welcoming of what's happening in the commercial world to combine what we can learn from those sensors with the exquisite government uh, satellites, which are still being uh, produced. But it's the combination of that that's very powerful. Right. And, and that's what's great about the, you know, the work that, you know, you all are doing at Shield Capital and, um, you know, some of these other agencies that are, are really kind of pu pushing the, the, the bill on, you know, being more open. Uh, I think that's the, you know, you kind of touched on those OTAs, but I think, you know, that's kind of like, uh, the backstory of, of where some of this began and, and, uh, you know, continuing to expand on that. I, you know, we've been seeing it front and center and I love to see, you know, a lot more, uh, investment being applied to those types of industries. It's exciting and, and necessary. Um, I guess before we transition into the, the final segment, Mike, Gruen, did you did you have any other questions? Yeah, in terms I mean, of there's always questions I like to ask about the sort of the funding and, and that process. And, and Mike, one question for you, um, like you mentioned earlier, assessing co-founders and a you'd like to have actual co-founders and not just a single founder. But like, are there any concrete things that you really are looking for from from a co-founding team? Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Well, that's all about just bringing complementary expertise to the CEO. I mean, the, the CEO is the most important person on that management team. So we got to have faith as we do in Topher uh, that he's going to be able to build a successful company. But no, because no one can do that alone, no matter how talented, uh, we would look for complementary uh, skills. So it could be someone that uh, sh uh, shoulders part of the engineering or people who are you know, helping on the sales and marketing side. But you just need complementary expertise around you. There's just too much to do as a single person. And then you get into a fundraising period, which Topher's in now, and that, you know, sucks all the oxygen out of the room for the time <laughs> uh, that occurs because the number one job of a CEO is to make sure you have uh, cash in the bank to, that allows you the runway to keep developing the product. If you don't have that, it all comes to a screeching halt. Right. And, and actually, that's a great segue, Topher. Like, what's been the most surprising thing for you as a first-time founder going through all this process of, of getting that capital? Um, uh, yeah, good question. And I'll just comment on the co-founder aspect too. I yeah, think sure. one thing that's been really, I think 
in the early days, we identified this pretty quickly. It was just the dynamic between myself and my two co-founders was kind of the perfect fit to Mike's point of just complementary skill sets and being able to be dynamic when like in this example, I'm fundraising and I'm just like, okay, sorry guys, can y'all del- can y'all do all this stuff that I normally do when I'm not fundraising? Um, but that dynamic aspect and then the, the, um, the collaborate, the collaboration aspect where I think for us, it's been helpful to have three because especially in the early days, we, we very much more were decide by consensus. Now we just don't have time for that. We have to divide and conquer, but having that, you know, always one other or always a majority or just like those types of dynamics, I think was really helpful for us. So three has been good from a capital perspective to your question. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's been anything that stands out as like a big surprise as a first time founder. I think personally, I probably like, I wouldn't say I like fundraising, but I probably like it more than most founders. I think most founders just really don't like it. I think it does kind of fit a lot of my natural skill sets of, um, of kind of the sales pitching aspect of it, but then also like having the engineering background and and the technology we're building. And so I think maybe one surprise that's more of a recent one is just every, every round it gets harder to delegate and really get into full-time fundraising mode because that's the ideal is that, that's that's all of your time, um, kind of to, to Mike's point earlier. And so it just gets harder and harder because as the company grows, there's just more going on. Um, and so, but yeah, it's uh it's been a good journey for us. The timing has been good from a funding perspective. And we uh we're fortunate to have investors that not only just provide capital but provide a lot of value like you. I mean, I think that's an important last point on the getting investors that add value. Um, I've worked at any number of companies and, you know, there's this notion of like smart money and dumb money. And I've also worked at places where there's indifferent money. The the people, the, the, the investors are smart. They, they know the space, but they're kind of indifferent and have so much trust in the founders that they're not that involved. Um, it's just, this is like interesting dynamic. And I think um, making sure that you have that relationship, right. And that the people that are investing are, like as I think you've done a great job with uh with Shield and everything, just really aligning um investors with the company itself and the overall goals. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, seems like a I'll really great match. One, yep. One thing about Shield, uh, we're a small uh fund. This uh, fund, 175 million under management. You might know some VC firms have billions. I think uh you know Andreessen Horowitz might have 30 plus billion. Sequoia. So for us, every investment matters. What can right. we do to make sure that Topher is successful is on the agenda for us. Um, if you're a huge fund like that, there's no way you could monitor every investment uh, with that, that same level of care. Right. Yeah, and I'll add on to that. It, with Shield specifically, compared to some, of, some other investors we have with those really big funds, is that we have our people from Shield that are on our board and, are, and support us very heavily. But I feel like I get help from a lot of the team at Shield not just our two kind of core people. So like I'm on this podcast with Mike right now, and I feel like I know a lot of the different team that can help in different ways. So I think that's one benefit we have at Albedo of partnering with Shield as a small team and a smaller fund is that there's a lot of, you know, um, a lot of value there across the team, not just with your single partner, like it would be traditionally the case, maybe at a different VC fund. I'm getting getting some good vibes right now on uh, <laughs> yeah, this this uh, pairing of of bringing a VC yeah. and their portfolio founder on. I, I kind of like it. We've never done it before, so this is the first of its kind. I, I didn't want it to get too biased, but I think we're I think we're in good shape here. This is a this has been a really a really good back and forth, and uh, I think it is important. It's important to you know. I think that's a good point, uh, Topher, of like 
you know, Mike saw value in bringing, you know, you on and, you know, using this as a platform to, you know, continue the conversation. So yeah, good, good on you guys. All right. Uh, let's, let's transition to the final segment here. Um, it's called the five second scramble. I'll ask you each a series of questions. Try to give me your response within five seconds. Um, and uh, some will be business, some will be personal. I'm going to start with you, Topher. Uh, explain albedo to me as if I were a five-year-old. Big camera, go space. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe your culture? Also, I have to credit one of our software engineers for that line. That was his. Um, culture, uh, transparent, driven, high-speed, low-drag. What kind of technologist thrives at Albedo? Tinkerers, curious people, and experienced uh, engineers. What can folks be most excited about for Albedo in 2023? At the end of this year? Or yeah, yeah. For, for, for the, let's just say the next 12 months. Next 12 months. A lot of technical milestones, a lot of risk burn down, manufacturing, getting into, into hardware builds, um, and getting closer to that launch date in early 2025. Cool. What's the top value add that you look for in an, inve- in an investment partner beyond the check? So, uh, getting in the trenches with us. Yeah, good answer. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, gosh. Uh, so, uh, my liking of Dova Chico. <laughs> we'll take that. Um, if you had to pick one fast food joint to establish as the first restaurant on Mars, which one would it be? Probably Raising Cane's. Oh, we just got one of those actually out here. Is it, is it like oh, that? Nice. Is it- I haven't had it in a couple of years, but I just, I fond college memories of a lot of, you know, <laughs> late nights at Raising Canes. <laughs> right. All right. Um, what's the worst fashion trend that you've ever followed? Oh, oh, that's tough. Probably the way I dressed before my friend started a company called Wythe. And now I just wear all his clothes because I have no taste for fashion, but I know he does. So, <laughs> What's the name Wythe of the New co- York. company? Wythe, New York. Okay. This is, this is a shirt. We also have great swag at Albedo. We've got a, that's a side hustle that might actually turn into the majority of our revenue. If, if, <laughs> uh, that's where Mike's investment dollars have been going. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where the big that's returns awesome. are coming from. That's where the big returns come. Uh, um, what's a charity or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Actually, uh, uh, John Serafini, who supports S.H.I.E.L.D., started this uh, effort for Ukraine. And uh, that's been cool. There's been a lot of Earth Observation companies that have gotten behind that. So uh, that's, that's one that comes to mind. Cool. Oh, we'll, we'll throw it in the show notes. Um, what's one skill or hobby that you always wanted to learn, but you haven't had the chance to? Ooh. Skateboarding. I like a lot i try to get into it and then i get injured i just hurt my wrist a couple weeks ago so didn't do that as a kid i really like it but i'm i feel like i've never quite gotten there to really get into it that's good cool uh and last one greatest uh superhero of all time spider-man nice all right that's a wrap um you are 
You are good. Pass with flying colors, Topher. Uh, Michael, right. you are up. Um, what is your favorite stage of startup to invest in? Seed as early as possible. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the culture at Shield Capital? Uh, co- collaborative, uh, but also uh, environment where we speak the truth. So it's direct, direct and collaborative. What technologies are you most excited about investing in in the next 12 months? Well, I have to include space, right? Uh, even though that's not, not my specialty. Um, space, AI, um, and cyber, my favorites. Cool. What, who is one of your biggest role models? Oh my goodness, these days, uh, tremendous respect, and we lost him too soon, was uh, Ash Carter. Just a phenomenal leader for innovation and uh, cared so much about people. Secretary of Defense. Yep. Uh, what is a charity or, or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? Uh, um, Second Harvest Food Bank to uh, try and end hunger, even in uh, areas that are pretty affluent, like Northern California. Lighthearted transition here. Uh, do you have a favorite cereal? <laughs> That's a pretty serious question. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, we're gonna switch it up. Uh, favorite favorite yeah, cereal. Today, I talk about superheroes, and <laughs> <laughs> we're we're on the tail end. It's gonna get real fun here. Watch. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite cereal or or breakfast food? <laughs> favorite cereal. I'm eating a lot of Heritage Flakes. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of like cardboard, but it's a little bit of granola mixed in. <laughs> That's your future, Tim. Um, That's when, our future. When you get to my age, you can't be eating, uh, you know, uh, frosted flakes anymore. <laughs> uh, do you have a celebrity doppelganger? <laughs> well, this is an old one, but a lot of people said I look very much like Michael Dukakis. If you remember him, he was a presidential candidate, but from a very long time ago, I uh, ran against uh, uh, Bush 41. I think, like, I think I'm the right only one now. on this call that, that might remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not good looking enough to have other celebrity doppelgangers. I think so. I see it. I think I see yeah. it. Um, do you have any phobias or irrational fears? Snakes, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's. Don't want to get very close with snakes. Yeah. Same. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, uh, knowing the future would be very Good useful one. in my business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll cap it off. Uh, favorite Disney character. Mickey Mouse. The first one. Nice. nice. Good stuff. All right. That is a wrap. Uh, thank you both for, for joining us. Uh, you've both been great guests. Uh, I think it's a, an interesting topic. It's, it's very top of mind for a lot of folks. Um, so appreciate y'all coming on and, and spending time with us on, uh, on the pair program. Fun to be with you.